Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And it's not only your family. My team, it's ironic, this morning I had a personality profile evaluation of my whole team, and they're at their happiest. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Priti Daswani. Priti, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to connect again with you and look back after so much time together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up. So I want to talk about the changes that you've made to your business now that it's been about a year since we worked together. And for listeners who didn't catch the first episode that I recorded with Prithi, it's episode number 152. So it's almost two years ago since that recording. Before we dive into the content, though, or this conversation about the journey that you have been on, the work that we did together, and what your firm is like now, for people who aren't familiar with you, haven't heard your name before, give us a quick who you are, where you are, and the nature of the work that you do. As you mentioned, my name is Preeti Daswani. Uh, I'm a certified public accountant, CPA, and I focus mainly on small to mid-sized businesses um, acting as their accounting director or controller. I, I, I know CFO is the buzzword in the industry, but I'm actually not going to say that. So that's my main focus. And give us a sense of how many clients roughly you have now, how many staff you have and so on. When we started, I had about 750 clients and I would take that with a grain of salt because some were reoccurring and some were what we call in our industry, orphan clients, we meet them once a year. And I brought it down to about 50 clients uh, over the span of two years, uh, reoccurring revenue, ongoing accounting and tax services. So I would say, yeah, that's what we're at right now. Okay, cool. So do you still have any orphan clients or are all 50 of your clients monthly recurring clients? A handful. Uh, and that's been a conscious decision. Nothing that was just thrown upon me. It's something I've decided to do. It's relationships we've had. It's based on something I decided to maintain because it's mutually beneficial to myself personally and the business. Okay. So there are a couple, a handful of exceptions to the rule where you're like, yep, these ones I want to keep for sure. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the vast majority are recurring monthly. Exactly. Yes. One is my pediatrician, so I couldn't fire. <laughs> You're absolutely allowed to keep a handful of your pet favorite clients for any reasons that you like. 
So for listeners who haven't caught the episode that we recorded way back when, let's just give them a high-level sense of where you were, not just in terms of numbers of clients, um, but how much you were working and where you were stuck with your firm. Like, what were the real problems that prompted you to reach out? Oh, my God. Let's just start with a tiny summary of where I was at when we first, first spoke. I was working easily 20 hours a day. I did not have children at that point. I was accepting every client through the door. My processes were not tightened up. I had zero time for myself. I was completely unhappy. The revenue was significant. Then COVID happened. Every accountant was in demand. So I went from working 20 hours a day to 28 hours a day. There was no aspect of my life that wasn't completely absorbed in the business. And what kept you sort of stuck there? I mean, why not just say in that moment, if you're working 28 hours a day, I'm firing half my clients and that'll at least get me down to 14 hours a day. Why not just do that? Fear. Um, I know when I started this process, uh, the main thing I look back and say it was more a mental block because anything can be done. A disengagement letter can be sent out, a client can be said, you know, goodbye, take care. But it was fear. When you start a business on your own, you don't think you can do it. And when you do do it, I at least, I was so impressed and surprised that, oh, it did work out. And like I said, when COVID happened, everyone was begging and pleading for help. And and if your personality is the type to be a people pleaser, which was another thing to recognize, that was one of the tough conversations I had with you, I remember. If that's your personality, then it's very tough to come out of that place. You sometimes need to get someone else involved to help you with all of that. So I just, it was, it was fear that stopped me. And what do you think that you were fearful of? Uh, Fear of being disliked, fear of losing out revenue, fear of uh, ruining the reputation of my company, fear of coming across ungrateful that I uh, would you know, who am I to say no to a client? You know, fear of just that it would be doable. Fear of the unknown, I guess. Yeah. And how to navigate all of those things. So just high level, kind of going back to the beginning or going back to the 750 clients situation, what do you recall as some of the things that we did that were super helpful in making a difference? First was starting because I I could have made every excuse I'm starting a family. I am, my sister was getting married. I, there was every excuse I could have made. So first was just starting and then was coming up with a game plan. How we are, how are we going to do this? At the end of the day, I'm an accountant and I like structure. So if it was just, okay, helter skelter, it wouldn't have worked. So structuring it. And the second, the, the third point was actually addressing the issue. I remember enough, some of our first conversations and I said, how can I, how, how can I disengage? And you said, how can you not? What's the problem? You're unhappy. You don't like the client. They treat you like crap. Why wouldn't you? So the mental shift, the the discussing was the, the biggest thing. The technical work is not hard. It's just being accountable. It's admitting. It's talking through it. It's coming up with a game plan. And I'll be honest, to me, that was the most tedious part. 
the ga- coming up with the game plan or the technical work? No, not the game plan, not the technical work. That was that's not hard. You can find resources. It's the the talking through it, the admitting it, the mental shift. I mean, how many times did I did I whine on the like, oh my god, I can't do this? If you remember, I erase every conversation is temporary and it gets erased from my memory right away. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, there was some of the conversations where we would start and you would have a, you'd say, okay, today we're going to talk about this, and I'm like, but I can't because I couldn't even finish my last homework, and um, you know, it was just, and then you had to ask me, okay, what's going on in your life? Why, why, why are you, why are you sounding a bit? I, I can't remember the exact words. You were never harsh, but you know, why are you sounding so negative? Where is this negative energy coming from? What was so hard about the last thing I asked you to do? And nine times out of ten, it was just me not doing it, me just being afraid, me being stuck in that headspace. I think out of our whole year of working, six months was just being stuck in the headspace. The last six months was like, it just flowed. Yeah. It's amazing how much of it is headspace. And like you say, the technical stuff is like, the technical stuff is just the technical stuff. We can solve it. But the headspace and the fear that sort of keeps you, like the fear wall that keeps you standing right before the fear wall and not doing anything, we kind of want to think that the problem is technical. But so often the problem is spinning out in your head and how is this going to play out? And I don't know what's facing me. I don't know what's coming. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I don't know what people are going to say. I don't know what I'm going to think. I don't know if I'm going to like it. Ah, it's just better to go. Let me just go work on something that I can solve. Correct. And sometimes discussing it through one of the things we realized very quickly was I'm just not going to be good at disengaging. It's not what I'm good at. I'm a, I call it a heart on sleeve syndrome, <laughs> uh, H-O-S-S. So, you know, you quickly realized that and said, okay, you need to hire someone. You need to hire someone to help you, number one, to take some of the administrative work, because that was also one of the checklists you and I had. All of the busy work, the checklist work, get that off of you, but have that person also do the disengaging, send out the disengagement letters. And so when we got that in place, it continued to free me up. So also identifying what you definitely can never solve. Mm-hmm. I am who I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I'll just have to get someone else to take on that role. So how does it feel to have disengaged about 700 out of 750 clients? I want to make it clear to anybody who's going through this process. It is the most painful and the most freeing process Some of it will come very easy because you'll just send out the disengagement letter and people were as it is accounting, accountant shopping and, you know, they go from accountant to accountant and they just fall off. Some of them, like I said, were one off projects. That's why I say 750 clients are you take it with a grain of salt. You know, look, I ever worked for you once on this project. We're no longer doing one off projects. We're moving to a different revenue model or a different different, you know, service model. Uh, unless you have a need for these services, you, you know, we appreciate your loyalty type of thing. So half of it wasn't hard. The other half was very hard. And there was like a quarter of that that was extremely hard because they just emotionally will blackmail you and not because of fault of their own. I hate changing accountants. I hate changing attorneys. I hate changing pediatricians. I get it. So was it was extremely tough and then there was a percentage of that that actually turned around and said oh if you were offering this I'd love to take advantage of it I didn't even know you never even discussed it so there were so many demographic pieces that came out of it but it, it you know on the flip side it was very freeing every time I saw the workload 
calmed down a little bit and I knew we didn't have to repeat that work and I didn't have to put a to-do for that follow-up on that client, it was it was so freeing. So on balance, even though sometimes it was painful and sometimes even excruciating, how does the seesaw of painful versus freeing, where does that land? As of today or when you're in the, the heat of it? As of today, I think the heat of it, we probably know the answer. Well, in the heat of it, I mean, the, 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 the painful part is at its highest because as you're disengaging clients, you're currently doing your own work. You're in the process of disengaging because some are just a letter, but others are handing over the paperwork, maybe re- you know referring out another accountant. So you're adding additional work onto your already full-time work yeah and then potentially bringing on new clients into the new model so that seesaw is really unbalanced in the super midst of it and as the season continues to taper off that really levels out then you come to a point where at least I approached it this way. I continue to disengage, 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 and tighten up my process for bringing in new clients. So it swung the other way, my pendulum, where my staff called it the honeymoon period at the end of that year, because we really went light on clients. And they were a bit nervous. I had one of my staff who's been with me for a long time, and I'll probably spend the rest of my life with her, and I hope so. She came, she was a bit worried. Will we continue to be able to support our revenue? Will we continue to have, you know, she didn't want to raise necessarily, but it would be nice, you know, bonuses, benefits. And I, I reassured her, I even showed her the account that we had, a, I had created a, a, an emergency fund should I really not know, because that was the other thing I did when I started this process. I know this sounds crazy. I created a fund. Should I really mess up this whole thing? I have six months worth of reserves to be able to cover my my revenue, my whatever is necessary, my, my payroll. And so that took a huge burden off of me. It swung the other way towards the end where it became totally light. Then I took on some technical training to tighten up really the areas I wanted to get more into while bringing on new clients. And today we've balanced it out. It's taken two years. I thought it would take me one year. It's taken two years. But that's how the pendulum kind of swung. That's so helpful. And before we go to the sort of freeing part, and I want to touch on a couple of things, the, when you say it was really painful, especially in the thick of it, what was the aspect that was painful? Was it the workload or was it the emotionality of letting go of the clients and the relationship and the, and the relationships and the fear of the revenue or all of the above or what? So revenue was never an issue. I want everyone to know that there's enough business out there for everyone. It's never about money, even though we think it is. But it was everything else that you mentioned. It was the emotional, like, oh, I have to get on. I would dread these calls. Okay, look, thank you so much. But it's not if they wanted to have a call or write the letter or customize the letter. So the emotional part is tough of it. And then the workload. Remember, you're still busy finishing off what your current workload is. And then you've added on this additional piece of the disengaging process, which is a process. You can't just can't just approach it helter-skelter. 
Um, and then obviously changing whatever else you're changing in your life as far as the business process is concerned. So the workload gets gets in the thick of it gets a little heavy. And when you let go of 700 clients, you say it's kind of been a two year process. Some people might hear letting go of 700 clients and think that we do that all at once, like 700 letters go out the door. About how long did it take for you to disengage the bulk of the 700 clients? The first 500 was, no, I take that back. I take that back. Because in year two, we only worked on about 150 clients. So I'd say 600 of them were disengaged in the first year. Like I said, the first half was very easy because they were one-off projects. They were maybe non-reoccurring projects. It was just something we had worked on and they were in our database and they would reach out every so often for what I call quick questions. That was easy. A letter went out. This is what it is. Some of them called up, but because I had someone to answer those questions. Well, initially it was just me, but I realized I couldn't handle it. So I got someone hired and look, we're not offering the service anymore. The remaining two, three hundred was a bit more of a process. Um, You know, I decided for at least half to finish off their current year's tax return and then disengage them because I didn't want to just, you know, in I, I met with you in March and now it's April, May and I'm starting this process and tax returns are due or they're giving me their stuff in June, July and then saying, oh, now I'm not going to, oh, I don't feel like, why, why didn't you tell me this in January? So I didn't want to do wrong by anyone. So that rest of it, I kind of decided to work with Um, But I started mentioning to them, look, I'm changing my business model. And so there was that, like I said, that remaining percentage that changed the business model with me. Um, And then there was a certain percentage that just made it tough in in general. But 600 of those were in the first year. The remaining 150, I continued because it was just one of those clients that had ongoing projects and I really needed to finish them. It, It made no sense. For example, they were either selling their business or they were... Uh, closing out a division and just handing it to another accountant would have been completely unfair. Or the client said to me, look, I don't mind going to another accountant. I just need to finish. So we, we talked it through. Let's increase our fees for the upcoming year. So that's how that final process kind of went. Okay. So the ones who were the sort of the harder ones to disengage for whatever reason, because especially because they had projects, it was just bad timing. They just You couldn't simply just kick them out the door that raising their fees enabled it to make sense for you to keep them on and do it in a way that was fair to them, respectful to them, but also respectful of you. That's correct. We got some good reviews out of that also in being disengaged, which was so ironic. But I'm not going to lie. I I think I received four or five hate mails, like emails. And so out of 700 clients, I guess that's not too bad a percentage, but it was like I was the devil. And I mean, it, that can really mess with your head. It'll be ironic. You'll get 10 compliments. Look, I'm I'm grateful. Thank you. Congratulations. I know you've been wanting to start a family for a long time. This move on with your life. It's okay. We love you still. And then you get one email and my entire weekend would be ruined or my entire, uh, that's all I'm thinking. About. There, it does seem that that's a consistent number, rule of thumb, one to 2% will send a very special nasty gram yeah and we just need to be prepared for it because we know it's coming and get you in the headspace where it's going to come and it's going to be okay even though it's going to be deeply unpleasant well maybe some of 
your clients are prepared for it. I've, I till today, I, I prepared for it. As prepared as one can be, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like it doesn't sting, right? I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't sting. Whew. But we, we know that those are coming and we know the percentage rate that those are likely to come at. So, so now I will say, especially in Mastermind with folks who are going through the disengagement process, we prepare for the 1% to 2% of the special kind of nasty gram that we know is going to come so that we just expect it instead of live in fear of it. Because I think living in fear of the nasty gram prevents us from actually sending out the letters. Whereas once we accept, once we accept that it's coming and we know it's coming, then we prepare in a different way. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go over to the nature of the work that you're doing, because when we started out, you had a, a fairly common, what I would characterize as a diverse set of clients. And you also had a lot of clients at the high end who were seven and eight figure businesses, the kind that need high level expertise before they sort of move up to having an in-house CFO type. And when we were working together, the direction that we decided you were, or you decided, but we decided together help that you wanted to take the business in was high level fractional CFO for seven and eight figure businesses. And there were some interesting businesses that business owners that you were working with. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to the nature of the work that you were doing for them, what you found about it that you enjoyed and that you liked about it and what you found that you perhaps didn't like about it now looking back on it. So when you and I first started, maybe it was beginner's luck. So as a disengagement process was happening, you know, one of the things you asked, okay, what do you want to do? The problem is that when you're so in the thick of it, you know, you don't really know what you want to do. If there's anyone who starts your process and they clearly know, great, uh, more power to them. I wasn't. So when you'd ask those questions, you'd challenge some of those niches. What do you want to do? Where do you, you know, all I was like, I just want to reduce my workload. Uh, but I'd, in a perfect world, I'd rather not lose the money. You know, so it was a process kind of figuring out, I do enjoy doing taxes. I do enjoy strategizing. I do enjoy this industry. I don't enjoy this industry. So it was a process kind of figuring it out. So I still continued taking on what I call the jack of all trades because I, I had a vast amount of knowledge in different industries coming from the big four world. And off the bat, my average client that was paying me twelve to 15000 off the bat, if you remember, I signed on two clients at 120000 and 96000 in annual revenue. Um, one was in an exotic car industry. One was more in the medical field. And I was so pumped and I was so, it, it did wonders for my confidence. But boy, was it a learning experience once they came on. Today, the exotic car client is still my client, but I decided to mutually part ways with the medical client. Now, I just jumped for a minute to give some perspective because as they came on, remember my mindset still had to be fixed. And so when I was like, oh my God, they were, do I deserve this? Now I'm at, now I have to prove myself now. I, I, I decided to make this change. I have to prove this to myself, my staff, the world, my clients. So I became like their beck and call. Again, another different mental shift, you know, whatever they want, whichever, even though I had a defined engagement letter, just whatever. No, I'm you know, refining that CFO process was also a thing in itself in that second year. 
Well, it was it was kind of within that six months, the first six months of working together, I got these two clients. And I was working nonstop for them, again, while in the thick of this. And doing it after six months, I remember I still wasn't happy. <laughs> and so now I'm looking at myself saying, oh, my God, I, I'm the worst human being on this planet. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. So what is wrong with me? It, it really was kind of an epiphany to figure out. And But my team was very helpful. And again, continuing some of my coaching was very helpful that it wasn't me not liking everything. It was just, again, that mental shift that I'm going from just doing the one-off to thinking that I have to do everything. And there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle. So kind of talking to the team, what do we like? What don't we like? What's the work that we enjoy doing? So we quickly figured out that I don't like, you know, we don't like doing the orphan and the once a year and maybe the quick questions, but we do like one-on-one -on -one with the clients, so nothing's a surprise. But I don't have to be their on-call accountant. The boundaries do have to be set. And if I cannot change my mind simply because they're paying me 100000 plus, like I, to me, when someone's paying me that, I'm their employee. I, I don't know why. I cannot change my mind. I'm sorry. If others can, if anyone's listening to this and saying, well, if my, if my engagement letter says I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, great. I have a tougher time. So it became very apparent that I fit into that sweet spot somewhere in the middle where it's an accounting director, controller position, where it's a limited service, ongoing service. And I enjoy that. And I feel good about the fees versus the value and the service and everything I'm providing. My clients probably take away more value because I still have that CFO mindset, but I am not necessarily giving it my all every day. Here's my cell phone. Here's my texting. Here's my Slack. Here's my fax. Here's my house address. <laughs> here's the passcode to the hot tub. Come over anytime. Yeah, it, it that that took a minute to really figure. Not a minute. It took a full period to figure out. And some of my peers still tell me, "You're crazy. You really know what you're doing." I know where my mental happiness is. And, and so that, that sweet spot is somewhere in that middle for me. So gives listeners a sense when you say accounting director at, or controller, what's the nature of the engagement and what's the sort of price range and who's the client that's a sweet spot client for that? Um, so generally that sweet spot for my company tends to be somewhere, the, the client that needs a CPA, they need ongoing accounting services, they need their taxes, they need strategizing, they need help with payroll, they need help with sales tax, tangible personal property. I call that the bread and butter services. I remember I had converted you too because you started talking. This is bread and butter. <laughs> so I call this most successful, most ongoing businesses need that. And then there's that that, that service level above that, which is your cash flow analysis, spend management, um, uh, you know, would be maybe some analytical procedures, you know, what's going on with some of the, your debt to income, some of your stock and your loan basis. Uh, you know, there's somewhere in there where it's enough for them to make management decisions, which department to increase, which product to add on, an accountant to kind of talk to. I may do some of the SBA loan services, getting the business alone, expanding into real estate services, but I don't do I do that more as a 
courtesy. I can probably expand more on that as a very specialized service because I'm really good at that. Having done it personally for my husband so many times over, but it's so involved, you start touching that BCFO service side of it. So clients don't have a problem paying separately for that. But if we do the bread and butter and then we do the cash flow advisory, analytical procedures, kind of add that on top of that, and they're able to make business decisions and see where their money's going, they're happy with that. Clients, actually, they're very happy with that. And what kind of clients are these in terms of, you know, business owners are very much themselves on a journey. So are these early six, mid six, high six, early seven, mid seven figure, eight figure businesses? Are they service-based? Are they trades? Are they construction? Are they exotic cars? Where's the sweet spot for you for this kind of service? So right now we're in the, the independent medical practices, surprisingly exotic cars. I don't know how that landed up, but that just landed up being an area we specialize in. And small contractors, small to mid-sized contractors is really the area that we're in. I do have a few outliers, like I have a bridal client, but she wanted the service and it's a great client. I've learned a lot in the industry. I wasn't going to throw away that service. So I have a few outliers, but mostly within those three industries. And I'm even tightening up more within the medical um, and small contractors, if need be. But with the changing current economic environment where construction's kind of volatile, it's good to have another, in my opinion, stable industry to be working in. Um, I had a lot of clients in real estate. I just don't like working with that type of business. So I had an, a ton of knowledge. I just, no, I didn't like it. Um, so that's my... In, and that happened organically. I don't want anyone to think that I really sat down and said, oh, I'm going to focus on this. Nope. Nope. I know you tried. I know you really tried to help me in that direction. Uh, it just it just organically happened for me specifically. Um, and now as far as the dollar amount is concerned, I personally feel I can provide most value, tax savings, cash flow analysis when they're kind of in the seven seven hundred and fifty thousand and above up to like what before you start to go uh you're starting i'm starting to feel the golden handcuffs come out of the purse here so it's a bit tough to say because i have clients who make three million gross and net 1.5 million two million and then i have a client making 20 million netting six hundred thousand. yeah so it just depends on Definitely above 25 million is when I tell the client, you know, when they're over 25 million gross, I let them know, look, you have other legal requirements you have to meet. You have to be audited. You have to go through certain. And it doesn't have to always be because there's other accountants who are probably uh, wanting to correct the technical that I'm saying. So I'm just generalizing for anyone listening. Over 25 million, there's other requirements. And I just don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to audit you. <laughs> and so I start having, I literally, ha- I'm going to have a conversation. My my exotic car company is potentially going to go to a $100 million company. So I'm going to have, be having a sit down with them this season saying, it's time to graduate away awesome. from me. Graduate away from me. Congratulations. It worked. It's time for you to graduate. It's going to be painful, but we'll have to see. So it's 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 tough sometimes to say, but yes, it's definitely between above that 750 to 25 million. But if I really had to be honest with you, if I could have, you know, just use a magic wand and just work with a certain type of de- demographic, I would say 750,000 to 2 million. Perfect. <laughs> they are busy enough to be like, I don't want to do any of this because it's 
they don't want to hire a full-time accountant at 120,000, 150,000 to handle all of it. They just want someone in-house, but it's it's value enough that I can provide where they say, wow, I love Preeti. I love Preeti's company. I love everything I do. So that's a magic wand if I could use. But clients come in all different sizes. I have a client paying my services making 93,000 and I've probably sent him emails saying, are you sure? <laughs> And he says, yes, I am. Well, he's adding five more employees. So the growth projection looks really strong. It's just generally that's when I tell client, look, why don't you call me in two years? But then they're also afraid because the first thing we kind of tell is I once I reach a certain capacity, I'm not going to take on anyone new. I love it. Then you have a waiting list. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't even know. I have to still learn the process of a waiting list. Uh, because every time I'm like, we have a meeting with the team. So are we at capacity? Yeah. And then like this morning, I received an email from a client. He's selling his business. Mm-hmm. He's going to be closing off. So he just wants to close out the process over the next six months. And, you know, th- and they're they're significant. They're large. So that's when Janice picked up the phone and she called me and she said, um, so I don't think we're at capacity. <laughs> we have a spot opening up. Correct. And potentially, you know, because there's such significant income for us, uh, maybe we replace it with two smaller clients rather than one really large one that was so in- involved. So last couple of questions here before we wrap up. In terms of work hours, so when you started, you know, you're working 28 hours a day. How many hours on average do you think you work now? And also, what's the feel of the work, right? Because it's not just the hours, but it's also how you feel while you're working the hours. So how is it different now? So I do want to preface, when I started this journey, I was not a mother. Mm -hmm. I became a new mother in December. Yay, congratulations. Thank you very much. Well, you were part of that journey. And one of the things I want, I, I remember when you and I just started the conversation, I said something in the beginning. I said, my first podcast, I said, you should try to do this. Just do it. Don't combine it with anything else. I, I retract on that because looking back now, had I not just done it, I would have never done it because there's always going to be something. You're going to have a kid. You're going to be preparing for a kid. You're going to be getting married. Your sister's going to be getting married. You're going to start a vegetable garden. I don't know. There's always something in your life. Wait, and so for listeners who are like, wait, what? Geraldine had a hand at that. They're going to be wondering, like, what does that mean? Oh, 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 <laughs> clarify what I mean. Yeah, because when I started this journey, I was going through IVF, starting a family. I was like fully going into it. I was doing everything. And so I, you know, in my mind, in a perfect world, when I had done the podcast first, I would, you know, I was thinking, oh, I should have first done the family thing. And then I should have started Thank God everything worked out. I landed up with a baby in December. So I would have never had time for this. Yeah, you would have never had time for this. You would never have had time for the work. And then when the baby came around, you would have never had time for the baby. Uh, that And actually, that was eye-opening because you allow, you one of the referrals, I remember you had given me professional references, was one of your clients that had had a baby. And she said she never saw her kid in her first year. And that was the clencher for me. I said, I will never be that person. We got to put a... I'm going to cry. <laughs> Podcast host needs to get it together. Yeah. I mean, the, that is such a rich piece of this, right? Is And I think this is this speaks to something that is out there and so common, and I think probably not given nearly the airtime that it deserves. Being an accountant, 
can usurp your life and it's kind of the going model and there are so many moms and dads and would-be moms who are just wondering how do I have a life and see my family and see my kids and be around for the birthday parties and the special events and the gatherings while also having a practice that I love. It seems like those two things shouldn't have to be mutually exclusive. Absolutely not. And it's not only your family. My team, it's ironic. This morning I had a personality profile evaluation of my whole team and they're at their happiest. Oh, that is great. I refuse for them to work past 5.30 and if anyone disagrees with me, well, we'll have to agree to disagree, but I do not have a tax season. We have a tax season, but I don't really have a tax season. They go home at 5.30. I force vacations on everyone. Like it's, they, they, they don't want to take their vacations. I'm like, take a bloody vacation. <laughs> and, and that's the environment I want to work in. I don't want it only for my family, but I want it for my... And we're not a huge team, just in case anyone's... When, it's just five of us. I'm the main CPA, two CPAs in the making, one bookkeeper, one main accounts payable, accounts receivable, and one client relationship manager. So they are at their happiest. Their indications are there's outliers in that, but it's important for work environment as well as your personal home life environment. So good. And okay, last question here. You said earlier, it was a tiny phrase that you dropped in there. You said it's never about the money. And so many of our challenges appear to be about the money, even though it's just never about the money because the money is just the money. Yeah. But surely listeners are wondering what happened to your revenue across this journey? Did it spike? Did it tank? Was it flatline? What was that revenue curve like? I didn't believe you. I'm admitting it. You know, you have the tagline, work less and make the same. I was like, yeah, okay. She has to do marketing. I get it. <laughs> so the first year, I, I think, uh, no, I know, 10% less than my year before, which was my craziest year. I was a little surprised that I hit so close. We, You and I were actually planning on increasing it and maybe even doubling it. But then I realized, I'm, you know, I was all over the place. Now a VCFO, now not. Now I want a big client. Now I don't. Now I... So you were also dealing with a little bit of my whiplash. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Within that 10%. And then this year, not only am I going to meet that, but I'm exceeding it by maybe 20%. So my take home has been more my, I mean, it's pretty much remained steady Eddie. And to me, that's success. I can double it tomorrow if I want based on the new model that I've created. I can double it overnight if I want to do. That's the freedom. I'm choosing not to double it. Even though you had put that as a potential challenge, but that's your job, right? You you have to take me out of my comfort zone because my comfort zone was not working, obviously. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. Right. I not only maintained, the first year I was 10% down, but like I said, if you remember in early in the podcast, I said the pendulum swung because I was not taking on new clients till I had disengaged. I was maybe taking on one or two versus the come one, come all. So the pendulum swung. Had I just continued at my steady pace of disengaging as well as engaging the new type of demographic client I was looking for, I would have stayed the same and maybe even exceeded. I chose not to. And that's the other thing in this process. You take back a lot of the control 
on how you want your revenue to play out, which at first doesn't seem like you have control. Yeah, I love that. I hear that again and again from clients and masterminders that they feel like they are the ones who are making the decisions about where their business is going. They're driving the bus and they feel like they have more control over how their business is playing out. So if you had a parting piece of advice for listeners who might feel swamped and some amount of hopeless or like, I don't even know how to get out of this, what would you share with them? Well, you're in the perfect place for change because if anyone comes to you saying, I know exactly what I want to change in my business, great. I'm happy for them. But I'm being honest, I had no clue. All I did is I signed up. And then on our first meeting, I said, I don't know what I want to do with my life. So I'm paying you to figure that out. I just want to be happy and I don't want to be working this much. And so that, like I said, that was a journey. So the first piece of it, just do it. If you're hesitating, just do it. Invest in yourself. What's the worst that'll come out of it? You'll get some therapy. Okay. But really, the best thing that'll come out of it is your life will change. So number one, just do it. Number two, know it's a journey. It's not going to be an easy journey. Um, there's going to be some ups and downs, but you have to go with the flow and you have to put one foot in front of the other. If you remember in our sessions, I would tell you, you have to give me one piece of homework. I do well with action items. I can't, if you just tell me, all right, why don't you see how this feels? You'll get nothing out of me. And then I have to be held accountable. And you did a good job at that. You know, sometimes you went a bit softer, but I think it was also the hormones. If you remember, just do it. <laughs> Create an action plan, action, and just do it. Be accountable. If you're going to, if you say you're going to send out that disengagement letter, send out the, or at least prepare it and then have them review it. And then, the, the third piece was you were, I remember you were trying to niche me or help me niche and I just couldn't figure it out. And that's something I want people to know. You don't have to figure out off the bat. Sometimes that happens organically. I know some of your clients knew right away there's an ag client. I still go back to her website every time I'm stuck if I want to change something on my website. She's so focused in what she wants. It's a great website to go to sometimes to say, oh, you know, that's how she's really honing in on the language. So niching, if you figure it out, great. If you don't, it's something you can organically figure out. And then the fourth piece I would like to add is where you do a lot of the mental and the talking through and the kind of being a sounding board. Don't give up on the technical training. There's a lot of technical training out there for because we've been so lost in the weeds that if you want to get into the specialization, don't forget to actually actually get the technical knowledge. I've gotten some more CFO, cash flow, R&D credits, training, because the more confident I felt in the service I was providing, the more I knew what I liked and didn't like. If people want to find you or find out more about you, where can they do that? My website, preetidaswani.com. Uh, on the contact us page, just select on any one of the services and let me know in the description. Look, I heard you on Geraldine's podcast or, you know, it's been a referral through you. The only reason I'm not giving out my personal information is I just I don't know whose hands it'll land up in. So through my website, at least I can filter it. Yeah, so good. This has been so excellent to talk to you. Priti Daswani, thank you so much for coming back on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Well, thank you very much. I owe you a lot and, and I couldn't have been more grateful. And anything I can do for your listeners or any advice they need, they are welcome to reach out to me. Thank you so much. 
Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.